Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of May 26th, 2022. I'm Charles Hain, filmmaker, and I'm here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Elliman. Hello. This week, we are talking about Tom Cruise, the last movie star, and what that probably means for independent film production, because there are certainly implications there. And then in tech news, we're going to be talking about Syrah coming at it with some full-frame macro lenses that I think are worth paying attention to that sort of lead me to a bigger conversation about like where we are in the lens marketplace, which I think is something that is like a really fascinating space right now. So those subjects and more this week on the No Film School podcast. All right. So our first story this week, Top Gun colon Maverick. A sequel 36 years in the making to the original Top Gun, which came out 36 years ago. Tom Cruise was 24 when it came out. Tom Cruise is now almost 60 and is starring in an action movie franchise. And a lot of the press around Top Gun Maverick has been about the fact that Tom Cruise is really our last movie star. And it's important as filmmakers to remember what we're talking about when we say movie star. We're not saying great actor. We're not saying even charming (laughs) personality. We are saying an entity that gets people to go to the movie because of who that person is. You know, like I always use this example. I remember as a kid channel surfing with my parents and my dad calling into the kitchen. Ah, there's a William Holden movie on. And my mom being like, Oh, I love William Holden. And like, you can tell how old I am now, like coming into (laughs) the living room to watch the movie with William Holden in it. And then we all went to work at the mill. And uh, so, you know, that is a movie star. A movie star is someone where the actor is what draws you to the movie. And a lot of the press has been very conscious of the fact that like Tom Cruise is in a very short list these days because of the growth of these franchises that are built not around actors. Like, yes, Helmsworth is a great Thor. Yes, Robert (laughs) Downey Jr. is a great Iron Man. But like those franchises are about Iron Man. And like in many cases, we have seen recastings mid-series. I mean, not that the journey of Grindelwald is like the best example because those movies have not been doing well at the box office, but like they replaced Johnny Depp with Mads Mikkelsen. And like the argument with franchise movies is that the actors have less power. And all of this goes back for me to something that I remember John Waters talking about in an interview I read with him in like the mid nineties. So John Waters as always is so ahead of things. And John Waters in the nineties was like, well, you never want to let the actors have the power. So it is your obligation as a filmmaker to be the star yourself. You have to have a public persona. You have to make people want to go to a John Waters movie because they know what a John Waters movie is. Because if you don't do that, you're always going to be at the mercy of, well, what star is in it? And you're going to be chasing stars to be in your projects to get them made. But if you make yourself famous, you have the power. And so obviously, you know, Stan Lee over at Marvel read that John Waters interview. I think that's obvious. And was like, oh, well, we'll make the (laughs) franchise the star. And people keep going back to that. Just a little aside. Stan Lee's estate just cut a digital deal to keep letting Stan Lee be in Marvel movies digitally with CGI. And everyone on my Twitter feed is like, this is the worst idea ever. This is sacrilege. And I was like, uh, and I'm going to have a hot take here. If there's one person in the history of humanity who clearly would be okay with this, it is Stan Lee. Like. If the idea is that the estate should be trying to honor the wishes of the person, Stan Lee would love to be in every Marvel movie for the rest of time if he could. (laughs) So, like, I was so shocked that everybody's like, let the dead rest. I was like, in this one case, I think the dead would like to be in these movies. 
This is way different than like getting Marlon Brando to be in some movie. Like Stan Lee loved it. Anyway, yeah, you're bringing up a lot, th- a lot of interesting points with this, and a couple of like fun, kind of historical, like wow, how much have things changed? I was thinking about as you talked about movie star versus franchise. I remember when Jurassic Park came out in 1991, the first one, something like that, and it was strange to me at the time that it had no movie stars. It had a bunch of actors who you might have been familiar with and people are familiar with them more now because of it. But it sort of felt odd to me at that time. It was like, where's the movie star? And the answer was, well, the dinosaurs, the special effects. Like what real movie star wants at that point in time, a movie star didn't want to be playing second fiddle to a dinosaur in a special effect. Like that's, it was different, you know? and. What's interesting is, well, here we are now, more like in Jurassic Park 20 coming out in a couple of weeks or whatever, and there are all the people in it, (laughs) not just the old, the actors from the original that are very much movie stars at this point and and became, but also like the movie stars of today. It's just, that's what there is. That's the, that's the model. Like that's how much has changed. Not only that, you talk about what Tom Cruise is, that he's making, he swings his weight around, right? He's like, his big statement with this was, I make movies for the theaters. This is not released on streaming. I make them big. I do my stunts, yada, yada, yada. And it reminds me that, and, and yes, Top Gun is a franchise. Mission Impossible is a franchise, but they're really just him, right? Harrison Ford used to be a movie star who would open like his own movies, like a lot of big movies. But now, I mean, he's quite a bit older, but he's basically... He's a franchise guy now. He's doing his franchise movies. You know, he's getting back in the Indiana Jones outfit. I think that Tom Cruise has carefully preserved and manicured his image so he can continue to be, I'm the reason people go to the movie. But I don't think that he's the last movie star because I think there are a few other people who still do that as well. And I would argue more effectively. For example, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, I was is say, very much <laughs> a movie star who opens DiCaprio, movies. Brad Pitt, Jennifer Lawrence. Like, there's a reason why on a yes. $75 million budget for Don't Look Up, $50 million went to Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Two-thirds of the budget went to the stars on Don't Look Up because Adam McKay wanted as many people as possible to watch it. And he hoped by having Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence in it, even though it was on streaming, he would get people to watch it. So, like, And I'll, I'll, the, I'll say that, yeah, part of what, Tom Cruise has done with the brand. I mean, we have to get in. We're going to get into how this applies to the filmmaker because it does. But one of the things observing the industry and the way it's changed, like Leonardo DiCaprio has always been very careful about his choices, but he makes very good movies, even subjectively or objectively. Like they tend to fall into a category of people like, to me, he is more of a throwback to like a William Holden or a Warren Beatty or, you know, the he's doing the like, I'm making big movies. I'm making them on all, he'll, he'll make them on the small screen now too, but they're good. And I don't, whatever you want to say is like Tom Cruise movies are, are fun, but they're not, it's not the same. And I think that the Tom Cruise thing is also about how he opens overseas. He's huge in China and in, and in other markets. So I think that there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I disagree with the, the, the thesis that's been put forward by PR firms <laughs> that Tom Cruise is the last movie star. 
And that if it wasn't for Tom Cruise, you know, we wouldn't be seeing movies that open big in theaters. I think we talked about it not too many weeks ago, but, you know, everything everywhere all, all at once had like a super big opening weekend and grew and grew and grew and became the number one A24. And, you know, it, I think that obviously entirely different scale, but, you know, Tom, these Tom Cruise movies, they cost a lot of money to make. And I think that there's all different ways to measure success and significance in the industry and in the medium. And I kind of think there's a lot of mythology that's well-crafted around him. Like he's the hardest working man in show. You know, everybody's always the hardest working man, like The Rock. He's the hardest working man. Like Tom Cruise works so hard. It's like, does he? Does he really? I don't know. I'm not convinced that, that he's working all that hard compared to most people in this world. <laughs> like he's and a movie also- star. Come on. James Brown remains the hardest working man in show business and will always remain the hardest working man in show business. So anyone else coming at that title better be willing to have a fight with James Brown. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are getting to the filmmaker take, I promise. We have filmmaker relevant stuff here, but let's let's keep noodling on this for a minute because you said a lot of great stuff that I want to sort of engage with. I, I agree. There are other interesting, like, there are people who are still movie stars that exist. Like Meryl Streep, still a movie star. A lot of people will just go see whatever Meryl Streep does. Morgan Freeman, still a movie star. A lot of people will just be like, oh, Morgan Freeman's in that. Like there are movie stars that still exist. You know, publicists clearly have talking points that they want out there when they're trying to get stories placed and like hardest working, does all their own stunts, all of that. But what's interesting to me about Cruise is that Tom Cruise appears to be someone who very much understands an appeal to a pre-digital cinema of like stunts and spectacle where like, even if they digitally extend some of the stunts, they work very hard to give you the impression that you were watching him hang off a plane. And like, I don't know if they go in, like they might clean up wire work on that shot. They might clean up the sky on that shot. They might digitally touch that shot, but like it gives you that feeling we used to get from pre-digital effects where you would watch something happen where you would watch the house fall around Buster Keaton and you'd be like, motherfucker, how did that happen? How did you pull that shit off? And like Tom Cruise is someone who really understands the joy audiences get from that in a theatrical space in a way that Meryl Streep doesn't like when's the last time Meryl Streep stuck herself to the side of a biplane. It's been like 10 <laughs> years. Yeah. Yes. You know, she gives a, another kind of joy. Like the joy we get is the verisimilitude of like just the range of performance she's capable of giving. Prairie Home Companion is like a, a Robert Altman movie. It's very good, but it's just amazing because she's in it with like 15 amazing actors and she just acts circles around all of them. So it's this movie with like all of these great people and she's just like waltzing all over them 
And I'm like, my God, like, why would anyone ever agree to be in a movie with Meryl Streep? She's always going to be better than you. She's just so epically good at stuff. You know, there's another, there's something I want to bring up too on this topic of, of, of like, who's a star and what defines them. Like, I remember an article now, this was like eight years ago or so, but there was a weekend where Tyler Perry opened against Tom Cruise and like had a bigger box office weekend. And I think it's like, like Tyler Perry reaches an audience that's massive and he's super popular. And I think we yeah. talk about Tom Cruise in a context of like the last white male movie star. I think there's a very specific thing like segmenting audiences and, and content and like he's a throwback and like he does. I, I just feel like there are, there are, Tyler Perry is a great example to me of somebody out there who has massive swing, but we don't write about it or talk about it in the same way. It's not yeah, the dominant and- strain of the discourse. And has done the old school, like Tyler Perry is as close as we get to a modern Charlie Chaplin, right? <laughs> who is right. a performer uh, who like, he is, he's like the descendant. Like if yes. Tom Cruise is our Harold Lloyd of action, but not comedy, <laughs> then like Tyler Perry is our Charlie Chaplin. He is like, like built a whole studio empire. You know, like if you live in LA long enough, one thing you frequently notice is the number of times people are like, oh, this building was built by Charlie Chaplin for whatever. Like. There are these apartments in Hollywood that were built by him. He built the studios that were then the Muppet Studios. He built like the restaurant Canale. You're sitting in Canale and you're like, this building is so nice. And, you know, the wait staff is trained to be like, oh, well, Charlie Chaplin built this building in 20. Like, he, he built a lot of LA because he was a big studio builder in a way that, like, there wasn't much there yet. Yeah, <laughs> or exactly. And he, had the, <laughs> and he had the money. And yeah, Tyler Perry is that. And you're right. I think that is, I think there's a real nuance there to be like, Tom Cruise is very much the last gasp of that particular mid-century American masculine like ideal that to to watch it sort of continue to work. I mean, and by all rights, everyone I know who have seen Top Gun 2 Maverick say it's amazing, say it's fantastic, say it's better than the first movie. And I like, I don't know, I will probably end up seeing it at some point. Now, let's bring this around to filmmakers. Why is this relevant to filmmakers? Well, it's relevant to filmmakers because some of the advice of how you get independent movie made is changing. And what I mean is this, there used to be this thing, George and I came up around the same time, and there was this advice in the 90s, which was the recipe for an indie movie is you get a big celebrity who's looking to be serious, and you get them to be in your movie because <laughs> your movie's serious, and maybe it's awardsy bait, and then they can go back to doing their big studio movies. And there was even like story arcs in that movie, that TV show Entourage, which we all know is a documentary and very realistic about like, Adrian Grenier, he would do Aquaman, and then he would do Queens Boulevard. Yes, I watched Entourage. I was once young. Um, one for them, one for me. <laughs> one yes. for me, one for you, whatever. Yeah. And what's interesting is I've been talking with friends of mine in the indie movie space, getting little movies made. And like, obviously, you still want, like, if you can get a star in your movie, that is still good for you. But you're also just starting to see a lot of independent people who are like giving themselves a lot more freedom in terms of what they consider a starring aspect in their movie, in terms of financing and distribution and building an audience. For interest, special interest in niche films. I mean, the Christian market has been all over this for 20 years, but like when I did my feature Angels Perch, like, you know, we had a bunch of people in it. Like we have Ali Walker from uh, ER and we have a whole bunch of other like really wonderful people, Ashley Jones and Joyce Van Patten, obviously, Ellen Crawford, like so many amazing, amazing people. But like, 
None of them were a movie star, but we were able to put the money together because a special interest film about Alzheimer's. And so we were able to work with the Alzheimer's Foundation and that helped us with distribution and like, because there was a pre-built audience there. And so starting to think about like, okay, well, the purpose of a movie star for your little indie movie was I have my little indie movie, but people will want to watch it because I have this star. And one thing that's starting to happen is there's a bunch of different pre-built audiences in the world. And so you can also find a pre-built special interest, as I said. Christian cinema of the last 20 years has been very much built around. There are distribution networks of churches and groups and whatnot that are like, I can build into that and tap into that when it comes time to release my movie. And I think we're moving to sort of this interesting world where there are fewer movie stars that will help you get your little movie made. And because of that, you have to start looking as a filmmaker in a broader spectrum of what are the elements that can find me an audience of people who are interested in this work? And I think it's yeah. a really interesting sort of pivot to think about as we look at what all of our options are as filmmakers that like, we no longer need to necessarily be obsessed with, oh my God, I'm not making this movie if I can't get Owen Wilson for this part. But See, this is what's, be like, it's such a good oh, point. Go and, it, and I think it's part of why the story is why there, why the angle last movie star can even be played. Because like I said, I don't believe it's true, but I do think the reason they can play the angle is because even if you get Owen Wilson, I don't know how many people care that just Owen will. And I'm not knocking Owen Wilson. He's great. It would be amazing if you get Owen Wilson in your movie. He's a talent. He's a name, all that. But I don't know how many audiences scroll past any star and stop. And this is, again, why I don't buy the Tom Cruise thing, because, I, frankly, I don't think Tom Cruise is on his own really doing that, because let's not forget, it's Mission Impossible 7 and Top Gun 2. But <laughs> regardless, like, we don't need to nitpick. Like, there, he is, he's obviously a, a main factor. You can't really make those things without him. I get it. But maybe you can eventually if you, if you transition and you're like, you, this is the new Ethan But his Hawk best movie of the last decade, Edge of Tomorrow... Yeah, wasn't definitely. a franchise film. Definitely his best, but I mean, you and I are probably in the minority. Uh, well, we're in the majority no, of tomorrow. A, rocked. I know. I know. I love it. I loved it. But I think that it's a. That's one of those things where it's like, does the did the world at large see it? I don't think so. I don't think they think of it the way that like. But yeah, it's great. It's a great movie. I, he. <laughs> it's really funny to me that of all the Tom Cruise movies I've seen, it's definitely in like my top three. <laughs> but either way. I, my point is more like, I remember this moment. I saw that there were movies on these streaming services with major stars that clearly had money behind them that I had never heard of and that I also didn't plan to watch. And I remember when that moment happened, I was like, what's going on? What happened? Like, this is the new, we live in a world where it used to be like, truly. And I, and I think a, there's probably a lot of people listening who remember this. There's probably quite a few who don't. But like, if Bruce Willis was in a movie, it was a big deal. He knew about it. That's why that 90s thing was true, because he did like Pulp Fiction. Like some of these people started doing the, they were like, I'm going to do that, like the one for me and support the little, like smaller project that's interesting, the smaller filmmaker, the blah, blah, blah. But I'm still doing Die Hard 3, you know, at the same time. But what's crazy is that now it's like, you, you could do the big movie with the big name and it might not necessarily even crack the 
you know, because cutting through the noise is so hard because it might not have the marketing power that, you know, there's just so many factors. And that reality has pushed us to a very interesting place where, like you said, Christian interest is, is definitely one of them because there's these, Tyler Perry is another example of like, there are markets that Hollywood, quote unquote, that the gatekeepers don't think about, don't talk about, don't know about, basically. And they won't know when you bring your pitch into the room that like, oh, there's a, there's a niche for that. They don't know that. They're probably still thinking the, what's the old saying? It was like, but will it play in Kansas? You know, but will it open in Kansas? Cause like you could talk about it in the bubble of Los Angeles, but like, and New York, but like, is it going to be popular everywhere? And now it's kind of like, well, you folks in the bubble here, you might think that it has to be blah, 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 blah. But there's a huge market for this. That's the reality. Like, there's a huge market for a lot of things. The hard part, besides for what's always been hard, which is getting your movie made and doing it, the hard part is making sure your audience knows it exists. But I think we've seen it with horror slowly over the last few decades where it's like, it used to be niche. It used to be subculture. But now more and more people are like, we know that subculture is big. We know we can hit that. There's a lot of those though. There's a lot out there. I don't know about all of them, but there's, you know, there's Reddit, there's subreddits for so many things. <laughs> like, look at all the subreddits and figure out which one you want to make a movie for. <laughs> like, don't look at the four chans though. Yeah, I remember when my dad first, I'm sure this is quoting someone else, but I remember in 1994, my dad came home from work and was telling the family at the family dinner table about this new internet thing and how there was a group <laughs> for everything. And if you were into eating gravel, you could find <laughs> a message board of people who also liked eating gravel too. And you could talk about eating gravel together. And I, that is, and yeah, I mean, no one's made that gravel eating movie yet, but. I think um, we've all had various times where we had that same realization. We have anecdotes where we realize like, there's no way there's enough people in the world who like X. And then you Google it and you're like, oh my God, so many yeah. people like X. That's so yeah. unsettling. And that's what, that's what we've discovered. And so go out and find your, your ex, find your audience yeah. and think about that. Of course, hopefully you find something you want to do and you're not, you're making it for you. But, but yeah, like getting the star is not necessarily like, it just doesn't move the needle. I don't think like, I, I, I can't tell you like, you know, no film school doing the podcast, doing, being in the press and the media for the last however many years. I see so many movies that come out, so many PR teams that reach out about projects. There's too many that are interesting. There's too many that have names. I'm not joking. There's just too many. And so what is it going to be that makes something connect and succeed? And I think it's like part of it is what you're saying. Like, is there a interested group? Do they exist? Do they want this? I am going to wrap up with this, though, which is some of those interested groups will make, like, having that subject. Like, if you go out and you make the great indie feature about gravel eaters, you, like, you <laughs> will get the gravel eaters to come to your movie. Sometimes. <laughs> that is possible. But I do want to say that I still think there is something about movie stars. Oh, yeah. yeah, in, yeah. And yeah. in that, I remember, you know, well, I've talent. been around for a minute. Well, I've talent, you know, I also, man. I was in so many meetings between like 2008 and 2013 
where somebody in the room was like, all right, so I found like the five biggest people on YouTube, or I found the five biggest Viners, and I'm casting them <laughs> in this indie feature. And, you know, they've got a million followers on Vine. So if we can get a, t- a 1% of them to come opening weekend to the movie theater, that's 10,000, you know, like yeah, all of yeah. this. Trying to do the and math like, on, yeah. And none of them scaled. And I remember once I was in film school, and um, Taylor Hackford came in and told a story about casting his first feature. And there was this guy he really wanted that he'd worked with on a TV show. And the producer kept saying, TV talent, TV talent. And then, but Taylor Hackford was like, no, I really want him. And so the producer was finally like, okay, fine, do a screen test. And they did a screen test and they projected it on the big screen and it just didn't work. And Taylor Hackford was like, yeah, there's something there where it's like different people scale to different size screens. And there is a TV actor now who I love, who's amazing on TV and every once in a while he's in a movie and I'm not going to say who because it sounds shady, but like one of my favorite working TV actors when I see him, but when they put him in movies, he doesn't scale. He doesn't scale (laughs) up to the size of the screen. It just doesn't work. And it's like one of those things where like the person who is famous on your phone is not necessarily going to fill a 70 foot screen. And there is something about Leonardo DiCaprio and Morgan Freeman and Meryl Streep and, you know, various Jaman Hanzu who are like, yeah, you scale, Oscar Isaac, you scale, you like fill a movie theater screen and like, you can't really like explain it, but it's totally our Pats, our Pats is a movie star. There's so much to that. And I'm, I'm going to add something else too, that also I think applies. That's my similar, my anecdote. I remember doing my indie feature. And the person we kept being told to contact and reach out to, and there was always at that time, it was always get this person. That person was Michael Sarah, And he was a very big deal at the time. And it was like, uh, yeah, he's not going to do it. And we were like, that's not going to happen. And what we ended up doing was we got a friend of ours who was very funny and who acted and was named Randall Park. And not a lot of people knew about him, but we were like, he'll be so good. And we love him and he's fun and he wants to do it, whatever. And the idea of any part that went to Randall Park that was originally people are like, you should get Michael Fitzgerald for this is amazing to me. Well, we kind of, we tweaked it, you know, we tweaked it yeah. for him a little bit, but yes, that, so it went from that to, to from Michael Sarah to Randall Park. Randall Park wasn't a big deal, but he was, he was right. And he's good. And I think sometimes what matters more than anything else is if the person's good and they're right in the role. And it didn't like, you know, we didn't, it didn't blow the doors off anything. He started blowing up because he's good. And so that helped us. Like at some point along the road, that helped us because it was like, we, we went with our gut. We cast the guy who was good. <laughs> like, and that guy is good in a lot of things. And it like, so I think sometimes like the reason I tell that story is because it's some people's scale is true, but also the right talent, talent and charisma, as you've said many times, is a real thing. Like that is a real thing. And it's not just, can you disappear in a role? It's like, do you have like gravitas on screen? If you do, then you've got value beyond, you know, and, and you may not be a star yet, but if you, the filmmaker, there's so much of directing is casting, right? If you, the filmmaker can identify something like that, then, then you've got something. Like if you know the difference between that person's going to work, that person's not, I don't care if they're famous yet or what, you know? It's a real thing, and you have to learn to identify it. Damn. Early Randall Park. Yeah, I mean, that's always the dream, right? Is you cast someone as they're on the upswing, and by the time your movie is done, they are a star. And you're like, they've had a hit. 
And then you're like, oh, I've got another thing that we can get out with them right now to capitalize on people's hunger for more Randall Park content. You can, yeah, it can help. And that's kind of like buying into the housing market at the right time. Like it can be, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's, it's like, yeah, right. It's you like can't you can't plan that. That's luck. Right. It's catch a falling sword or whatever, but you want to hone your ability to identify things that you think are good on screen and why. I think that's yeah. really valuable because even more than casting an established star, you want to cast somebody who has something that's not just like identify those qualities, you know? And you just want to make the best movie you can make. I mean, it keeps going back to that, which is make the thing the best possible thing you can be. And if that thing involves Tom Cruise, make him do a <laughs> death defying stunt because that is what people like. I, I mean, I, I enjoy it in the theaters. All right, moving on to a quick little tech news, just because there's sort of a, a streak of tech news lately. We're going to talk about one specific story, but there's a lot of like some affordable cine primes coming out that are going for an interesting price point and an interesting marketing angle. So we're going to talk about the Syrah Jupiter full frame cine primes first, just because that's the news of the week. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this one in particular is you should just if. if if you sort of have an idea in your mind of like, oh, what are the lenses that I can afford or what are the lenses available to me? There's a whole lot of new choices lately, which is interesting. Syrah, they are spelled S-I-R-U-I, but it's pronounced Syrah, apparently. And I like the name, especially as Syrah. It's a fun name. Mostly make like affordable anamorphics, which aren't going to be as nice as like the big Atlas anamorphics or the Cook anamorphics. But, you know, affordability is key, especially if you want to own something and shoot with it all what's, the time. But What's the range ahead. of an affordable anamorphic what's that two grand a lens something like that and what mount would those lenses be uh i off the top of my head i don't remember the normal saras but their new lenses are available in the normal mounts like pl and rf and ef the sort of new mounts i think those old Syrah anamorphics might be mft micro four thirds i don't actually remember off the top of my head so with a lot of but, your mirrorless cameras, then this means you can spend a couple grand and have an anamorphic lens. Exactly. That's yes, pretty that awesome. Would've... Yeah. You like pretty, that I mean, look. I'm glad they're out there doing it. And it also yeah. means if you have like a very tiny budget, but you're like, I have to shoot my feature anamorphic, you can rent them. And as a rental, they'll be very affordable. So now they're coming out with Spherical, which is great for like a thousand dollars a lens. And what's interesting to me is I feel like everybody has to have an angle, like to stand out. Like you can't just do another set of, Cine primes because there's Irix and there's Zine CFs and there's Mike and DZO film and there's so many. And uh, so they went an interesting angle and they were like, all right, all of our Cine primes are going to be macro, which I'm a big macro photography fan. I shoot a lot of macro stuff. I think having a good macro option is really wonderful. Macro, if you don't know what that means, means it can focus very close to the lens. Sometimes, actually, it means it can come close to focusing where the size of the object is close in reality to the size on the image plane. But Regardless, it's really wonderful to have like a 24 millimeter lens where you can like put the lens right up in front of something and focus all the way close. It's useful in music videos. I use a lot in docs for like shooting little transition sequences. It's just like a useful feature to have. It's also like if you've ever worked in a small space, I've been on a lot of shoots where like product shots, like if you're doing, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Well, also like in a narrative, like I remember doing this one shoot in an attic and like, you know, we built this beautiful set into an attic and then the whole time we were fighting close focus because we were shooting, that was an anamorphic show and like the close focus wasn't that close. So like we were constantly having to stack diopters to be able to get close focus and it's like sometimes I'm on an indie feature and I want to move fast and I want a lens that just like lets me get a crazy close up of an eyeball without having to swing a lens. 
And I like that we're in a space now where like the market's getting full enough that new people coming into the market are like, oh, I got to do something cool. I got to like yeah. come at this from my angle. And I like this angle. So I'm excited. I haven't shot much Syrah, but people I know are like, you know, for the price, it's reasonable. Obviously, you're not going to get out of them what you get out of an Airy Supreme Prime, which is 30 grand a lens. But you're, <laughs> you're still going to get like the test footage looks nice. You're going to get some nice quality images. You're going to be able to do some nice stuff. And I don't know, like the lens space is hot lately and I'm excited about it. I'm really, yeah, I think it's always, it's always good to have more choices and there will always be situations that some of these things are right for. So it's, it's like the lens space is, re- is reacting to the fact that people's sensors are also good that the lenses is where they're creating the character. And we've talked about that a lot. I keep hearing people say it. Oh, but yeah. It seems like now the marketplace is getting flooded with all the different options, what you can do with lenses. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. All right, that's the No Film School podcast for this week. I am uh, Charles Hain. You can catch me on the internet at charleshain.com. Twitter, Instagram, um, not on the TikTok yet. Maybe never on the TikTok. We shall see. <laughs> and I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School. You can read about everything we talked about today and more at nofilmschool.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, check us out on Instagram and YouTube. And be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. We have a lot of great interviews. Go through the back catalog. We've had a ton of interesting guests, not to mention we've been doing this weekly show for a while. So, you know, find out what we predicted a year ago or two years ago and see if we were right. Thanks so much for listening.